Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we are grateful for the word. We're grateful for your son's teaching in his short ministry on earth. We'd ask that we would be eager to find out his thoughts on life. In your son's name, amen. We're in Luke, Gospel of Saint, chapter 14. And it's always nice, I know, you know, I can, I can imagine after how many years I've passed through this church, probably 25 years, done, I don't know, these sermon notes since the 1990s sometime, 98, 97, so almost 20 years of these, and, and you know that there's kind of, a, kind of a murmur of satisfaction that sweeps through a congregation when they see that not only is the text not reached the bottom of the page, but it's big text. So you say, even though he says the sermon never gets shorter, I challenge him to make something long out of that. Challenge accepted. Nobody said that. that, that you were saying Nobody that. You know, you know that you did in your heart of hearts. It is, it's constant war. It's constant war with my own children, with the congregation. But in order to achieve that, I, this is kind of that, that duplicitous. This is not what you want to see, the kind of guile you do not want to see in a pastor. I took the first half of the passage and moved it to the left-hand side. A little small time. Oh, those are just notes. Oh my gosh, no, it's the first half of the chapter. Now really the reason I put it over there is I didn't want to dwell on this section, but I did want it there for you to look at contextually as we go into the big type portion. Let me read through it for you. Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at a house of a ruler who belonged to the Pharisees, they were watching him. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They were silent. Then he took him and healed him and let him go. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well, will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he marked how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by one, anyone to a marriage feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest a more eminent man than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That was the introduction. Now, admittedly, all sorts of things are pieces of advice are going on there. You can see things like the Sabbath standing in the way of true goodness. People using a religious present thing, a degree of obedience to a, um, 
a calendar thing to keep them from doing a good thing. And you also see things that societies are based on. You don't, you don't have to read you know, something like Jane Austen or Dostoevsky, Jane Austen for the positive side of the ledger, charming, pleasant, really, really uptight people doing things in a very uptight way. To the Russians, really, really uptight in a different sort of way, go hang themselves in the barn. There is, there are obligations that we arrange society around. Patterns. We find our friends, we find our place sociologically. I would say largely we're middle class, right? I don't think we've got, some of you feel poor, but you're not that poor. Let's just say we're from lower middle class to upper middle class, but we're middle class. Moscow is a middle class town. Those things gather together naturally. You don't have to arrange that, it just happens. And your friends end up being out of that class. And we start to do things without thinking. Our advancement, our place, which is moving us, we don't know it's moving us, but it too, it too can stand in the way of goodness. That you can be aware, just awkwardly, that someone didn't invite you back. You invited them over. Lord knows you invited them over, you say to yourself, looking at your husband. Lord knows I served them the best. I haven't seen an invitation from them. Ideas about equity, advancement. Now, it almost seems society um, seems like this powerful force Religion, the, the Sabbath, and society. These are these forces that we've cut loose in our lives that have kept us from being quite Christ-like. Because he's asking you, not because the poor deserve it, for heaven's sake, the poor don't deserve it. We, somebody read, whoever read the scripture reading, was it you, Graham, that had that passage a couple weeks ago about you don't show the poor any favoritism? That wasn't you? Who was that? It was in the Bible. I have it here somewhere. Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. Or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. It's not that the poor deserve it more than the rich. You're going to invite some friends over. It's not like Jesus likes poor people better than he likes rich people. But you like rich people better than you like poor people. Poor don't deserve it. You're just being nice. But we know that these sorts of things in Christ's teaching, uh, friend, some of you know Doug Jones. I've not read this book, but I, I've heard about it. And, you know, there's a kind of a, a whiff of, we call it Christian socialism or uh, Chesterton's distributivism that's going on in in, in Christian economic circles. Uh, Doug Jones wrote a book called, I think it was called Ignoring Jesus, I think. Because Jones is big on these sorts of passages. Because what does it do? It throws this huge, stinking piece of fish in the middle of the congregation and thinks that the, 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 the pressure of evangelical middle-class life is suddenly 
created an indisposition. We, we don't like the smell of passages like this. It's okay for Jim Wilson to invite a meth addict over, but let me try to explain that to my dear wife. Doesn't he know? Doesn't she know? We have minor children at home. These people smell. <laughs> show up. A friend of mine from back, he had lost his mind, wandered the United States, suddenly showed up on my front porch. I think he's got his mind back now. He's in Europe, where this fits in. But he stank. He stank so bad that I had to keep him on the front porch. There was no way, there was no way he was going inside. I would feed him on the front porch. I would talk to him on the front porch. But there was, I mean, it would have, you couldn't have gotten the stink out for weeks. I mean, he smelled that bad. He just lived in his clothes. You say, oh, we've got very nice middle-class objections, right? The Lord kind of gets in the way with remarks like this. And I'm not here this morning to preach about that you shouldn't invite any of us over. We're your friends, right? For dinner. Please, don't be obedient there. Don't worry, I won't repay you. But I want to have that kind of heaviness of what Jesus lays on to people. Because there's great teaching in that, but we're not talking about it this morning. Because of what the guy says next. One of those, verse 15, up at the top of the right-hand side, one of those who sat at table with him heard this. He said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. What does that have to do with it? Well, sometimes when you realize the inequities of life and social pressures and family obligations and all the rest, you'd like to just defer it to glory. Well, when we all see Jesus, it will all pan out. Everything will be hunky-dory. There won't be any poor. Everyone will have a shower. Sometimes we, and I don't know if this guy was evading the point, but he, he's talking, of, Jesus is talking about real time, real life. When you go to a dinner, don't push yourself forward. When you go, when you serve a dinner, don't invite those people. Invite those people. This is disruptive to the life that, that people have. And so it's easy to put it off It's easy to put it off sanctity till the end. Whatever that sanctity is. We can differ as to what Christ was teaching about your relationship to the poor. But one of the options is not, well, this will be fixed in the end. And believe me, it's not because I think you can fix the problem of social inequity. I'm, I'm against any kind of person who wants to have equity. I'm against anybody who wants to th say, we're going to redistribute everything until everybody's got the same amount. I, I think that's folly, just economically folly. So we're not representing that view. We're not representing a view that is utopian in any way, that your participation in some program that is Christian or whatever, you know, the Hope Center is doing what it's doing because it is good to do. It is good to do. 
There are many people who go out there thinking they're going to fix the broken world totally. They're, whether they're secular or Christian, they think they're going to fix it. There's a difference between doing something because it's good to do. It does help person X, Y, or Z. Without thinking, it's going to change the shape of wickedness of the world. But we're not, so we're not putting off till the next life. And we ought not be saying, oh, therefore, if we're not putting it off till the next life, we've got to have a plan that will fix it now. But he said to him, Jesus, verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for all is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported this to his master. Then the householder, in anger, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and maimed and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded, what you commanded, has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now listen to the parable. Listen to the parable. It's about, he's, at a, he's giving an at a, a feast, um, and they're talking philosophically about the role, you, the role you play at a real feast. And then some guy starts to push away the ethics of those decisions, but people can't seem to let go of their middle or upper class sensibilities in those situations. They love being included. Not being included, not being included, is a real blow to your social advancement. You ever hear that a party was going on that you hadn't even heard about? Ever hear about that? That great party. Now you were all invited to my birthday and you know it. And if you didn't show up, too bad. It was the party of the century. But you've heard of those parties that somehow you didn't make the list. Well, no, the party list has to be, you know, finite. And the people that are throwing the party thought of you, but somehow... And you know what that feels like. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But really, all these things that move in us, our religion, our social advancement, or sense of equity and justice, all of those things matter in us. Matter in us because we matter in us. 
Christ is giving this parable to correct this notion this guy has. It says, but he said to him, the guy said, when he heard this, well, blessed are those who get to eat in the kingdom of God. Yay! Later on, pie in the sky by and by. Jesus said, now, I want you to think about something. However you want to assign the characters in the parable, let's just assume that God is the guy giving the banquet. And people make excuses. All very, very reasonable life, basic life excuses, the kind of excuse you would accept. Oh, you'd hate it because the table would be set, you know, for 22 people. And three couples call up. One of them has just bought some property, probably from Tammy. And they've got to go look at the property. So it's Tammy's fault. But it happens, you know. You know, you got these opportunities. And somebody else calls and says, I just bought a new rig. It's in, it's in Colfax. They've got to go look at it. Another guy said, well, I'm in, I'm in Reno. I just got married. You don't know her. No, I barely know her myself. But... You know, big things, right? Big things. But you know that... What, 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 what's the thing? We understand this when it happens to us. When you're the hostess. How can... Oh, the one we... Someone was committed to RSVP for a, a banquet we were doing and called at the last minute and said their church's worship team had called a mandatory rehearsal. No, no, your, excuse me, your word is mandatory. You gave your word. You tell your worship director, I'm sorry, I gave my word. I'm a gentleman or a lady, whatever. And so we were wondering what it is that actually happens when those things come up. What really actually happens when those importunities, someone doesn't show up, is not because we're, what was that sermon about today? It was about people not showing up for parties. No. It's about people who choose where their faith and their action rests. It declares your lordship. Now, everyone has got that freedom to do so. I mean, if you made the deal on the property. You, you want to look at your stuff. You just bought some stuff. You know how that is. I buy some books. You might buy property. I buy books. And I like to sit in my library and roll around in them. You know, just because, well, you know, you might not understand books. That's how you appreciate books. You roll around in them. You want to look at the oxen you bought. Nothing quite like it. New vehicle, new house, new books new stuff. And you would violate, you might say, a lesser obligation of your advancement, the things that advance you, the things that make much of your lordship of your life, 
your faith in you. Those you're willing to pay all sorts of attention to and violate the invitation to the kingdom of God. Now the master, whoever you've assigned the mastery to, has not a very good, he's fine with that. But you will never taste his banquet. These are uh, this is pushing not fixing all the problems of society and religion in the today, but it's making you decide whether or not you are about you. Because those little illustrations at the beginning of the chapter that we didn't study, putting yourself forward, inviting your friends, it's all part of you designing a life very comfortable and equitable between you and your friends. They don't ever serve vegan food because they're Christians. You get to eat a lot of beef and you get to go to your friend's house they give you a cigar and it's just, it all works out. Nicely balanced life. We don't even notice it going on that we're choosing ourselves. Because if you look at it, it's not about, you know, Jesus was really for the poor, good, peace. Because in the Matthew account of this marriage feast, chapter 22, they go out and they collect all these people from the byways, the hedgerows. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that a man, there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. Oh, <laughs> really isn't about God's preference for the poor. He wants the room filled, be filled by his standard. The poor generally don't have a life in front of them that they always are finding is... Um, challenging God for their ultimate time. The middle class do. We have got a life, thank you very much. We invite our children over for dinner, the ones that live in town. No, they, they have their own lives, but you know, ever get invited over and you go, oh yeah, because someone's going to feed you for free. Someone's going to feed you. When you're poor, you get a big turnout for dinner with Jesus, supper with Jesus. People who give you free food. Oh yeah, sure, it might be both, you know, thinking with their stomachs, but the poor also still have an obligation in the kingdom of God. And this is not about actual physical dinners. This is only illustrated in physical dinners. But are you making choices... That when it comes down to it, when it comes to the highest reach of your life, you go look at the property. You go look at the new vehicle. You go spend, you know, your wife expects you to spend every moment of your time making her happy. Yeah, but the Lord is, I thought you need to say that too. I can understand the vehicle. I can understand the property. But the guy who got married, come on, Jesus. 
Doesn't it say that you get absolved from one year of military service to make your wife happy? And, and, and women think that that's really your whole life, you're gonna devote yourself to making them happy. Oh, let us go on then in the passage, just in case. Now great multitudes accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, how, how are we going to spend our time ignoring Jesus? I mean, this is the, again, I'm not a socialist like Doug Jones, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Jesus. And I don't think this is about how much stuff you have. I don't think this is about unless it's only poor people at your dinner table, you're a bad Christian. We're not supposed to be about ourselves. And Jesus puts it in a very negative light here. The other passage, the other accounting for this in the other Gospels, it's whoever does not, whoever loves so-and-so more than me. Here, he doesn't, he's not taking any prisoners at all. You don't hate your own wife. The wife looks over at you in the pew and says, you better not. You look back at her and say, but Jesus says. She said, I said, you better not. Who's going to win that little tussle? Jesus says, hate the old lady. And I, we could apply it to husbands too. Hate the husband. Then the wife says, oh, okay, I can see the point of this. I've already hated him half the time anyway. Now, what is this about? Things that are the most valuable to you. The things that make the most sense to your well-established life. We middle-class people, we've got it. You know, Dee Dee was talking about helping these people budget stuff. We understand those things. We probably do banking online because we're middle-class. I mean, think of, I mean, just how predictably bourgeois we are as a church. We've got it all worked out. That's a comforting thing. We don't see the Lord's questioning of our lordship until it gets to the highest levels of expectation. Will you follow him? Would you care for your wife because your Lord lets you? Or do you care for your wife because she is your Lord and your love for her is your Lord, but not Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ wants you to care for your wife. He says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus says, if you don't hate your wife, you have no part of me. You can spend a lot of time dealing with this passage. I would like you to do that. Because the Lord then says, for verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower 
does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, count the cost. Uh, well, I don't think he really means that. Okay. What do you think Christianity has become because of all the people who said he doesn't mean that? Better to say he means that. I might not understand how he means it, but he means it. And then he tells you it's a very, you're supposed to feel it's a lot of cost. You're supposed to say, yeah, hating my mom and my dad and my wife and my kids and even my own life that I have a natural love for. I have a natural love for my spouse and for my kids and for myself. They can't be my Lord. I have to turn away from them and turn to God. God may give them back to me. One of the things in that hideous strength, which Tuesday night, second reading, 7.30, be there. One of the great things learned by Jane Studdick in the book from Ransom is that her submission to God is all, and then he grants her the submissions to others. But all goes to God. Renounce all that you have. Because if you want to explain it some other way, the next verse sits on us. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is fit neither for the land nor for the dunghill. Men throw it away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This cost is to each of us. It's not about your economics. It's about your lordship. It's what you perceive or persist in thinking are allowed to have high demand on you. Your loves are not as high as your lord. They may not. They're earthly loves. They're good things. Love your mom and dad. Love your wife. Love your kids. Great. You need to ask yourself the question. How about your social standing? You love that? You love your advancement? You love where you are? Would you like to just make a, a nice collection of sufficiently religious, Sabbath-observing Christianity that has all the right friends and you can call it fellowship, but really it's you getting invited to the right parties and, and paying back by inviting them back and, and then... Did you just sort of design a life that you called the Christian life that is not the Christian life at all? It's just comfortable. It's comfortable with a gloss of religion on it. You say, Evan, can't you ever say anything nice? Okay, next week I'll try. I'll go to the Psalms or something. 
I'll, I'll. Jesus doesn't say a lot of really nice things. I mean, he suffered little children and things like that. We can do the Lord as my shepherd. We can do some stuff like that. We'll get together and we'll, it'll be, you know, we'll have a date, okay? This kind of a romantic time together. Well, I'll say nice things. But I'm sorry, but here it's about your saltiness. And there's nothing good for it if it's lost. Look at the, look at the church coming through 16, 17, 1800s. What happened to it? My gosh. Now sometimes you see people who go back for old saltiness and they start saying drastic things and people really respond because they think that being salty is what, what's needed. Not that it be true. Not that it follow Christ. We've got Christ to follow here. And that's the decision, going back to that man's remark back in verse 15, blessed he who shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. It's not where you're going. You have got to make this renunciation at the near side. Now, you have got to say, Jesus is my Lord. I don't care what my wife thinks regarding that decision. I would like her to be on the same page with me. I'd like her to make the Lord first before me. I want my children to make the Lord first before me. We can examine ourselves. You guys have got some self-knowledge. But it's all about he who has ears to hear. Do you hear that? Do you understand that that which you obey, that which you, whose invitation you reject, What's the right response to the banquet? You gotta phone the real estate agent up and say, I can't come out and look at the property now. I've given my word to someone more important to you. I know, honey, that I was supposed to take you on a honeymoon, but I gave my word to someone more important than you. That's how it works. That's, and that's what should have happened. You should have walked through the door of that rich man's house I said, hey, I invited you. Didn't you just get married? Yeah, but I, I give my word to you that I would be here and you're more important to me than my wife. Doesn't even sound good coming off the tongue, does it? Doesn't even sound right. Seems like you're going to have a chat with Evan afterwards. At least half the crowd. You see it. Jesus first. Care about Christ. I had a counseling situation this last week, not somebody from this church. Very long-term marriage problems, and I encouraged the person to speak with the other person not about marriage. Don't speak with the other person about anything to do with the relationship. Speak about Christ. Talk about the Lord. Only talk about the Lord. Don't even apply what it is. Just talk about the Lord. Because we're having to choose, we know that we have to choose the living God, he who gave himself up for us, for our sins, is more important than your little romantic infatuation that got you to marry somebody. Yeah, I know she's cute. I know she's really good looking. I know you want to go to bed with her. But, 
Jesus Christ did more. And we have to say whether or not that is really where my faith is. It's hard to restore. What, what happens to a church when it loses its savor, when the saints lose their, the impact or the faith that they have in their own life? Where they're not making choices for the Lord all the time. Oh, it runs very well for a while because it develops a societal life that, that sets up a balance and a workable... Are we in that situation? I don't know. How much of it is fellowship in Jesus Christ and how much is it we like each other? But how shall its saltness be restored once lost? Oh, you start to look around. You hire somebody. You hire a PR director. You get banners. You put up banners. I think that's what does it. I gotta get a guitar. I have a guitar at home. We could do all sorts of things, relate to people, use up new words. Um, Jesus Christ, obeying our Lord, honoring your commitment to Him above all things. Everything must be hated, even your own life. Because you don't want to be that person if it ever come, push comes to shove and the persecution actually starts to happen and it's not a matter of, well, they say bad things about Christianity in the public schools. That's not persecution. Let's just say they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill your family and everybody who bears the name of your family. They're going to take your stuff. Now, Jesus Christ... But when persecution, you know, the parable of the sower, persecution comes up, they fall away. They received it with joy, but persecution, that's another question. You find out who and where their faith is. Faith is in who you pick as Lord. Is it your standing, your endowments in life, your stuff, your advancement, your religion? Or is it Jesus Christ? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your mercies. Like Kevin read this morning, Lord, we're grateful for that. Always there. But we also ask that you would have us each search our hearts to know whether we've arranged a nicely comfortable life that looks like Christianity but really in service to our own interests? Are we able to put ourselves aside for you? Are we able to forego all the goods we've created for ourselves? Lord, we trust that we're building families that we share this devotion to your son. Husbands, wives, children, that it is shared devotion, that we all understand that we're second or even third behind your son. May his name be glorified. And in his name we pray. Amen.